Welcome to Dove and Dragon Radio. I'm your host, ML Ruschak. I'm here with my special guest from Australia, Robert Lee Johnston. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me here. Now you have two books out. We're going to talk a little bit before the show about them. You have okay. Tribute and Lucifer on Leave. Yes, that's right. So which one came first? Tri- tribute came first. Um, Tribute was the book I had in my head my whole life. Um, it's basically fictional, but all I have done is is change the names of the innocent and the guilty and protected those who aren't here now. Um, the town itself I protected as well. The, the, the book is named after the town that it's set in called Tribute. And that's a, uh, a cross between the town I live in now. I have a farm here. You could probably see the trees behind mm-hmm. me. Um, so it, it is a, a cross between this town and a couple of others that I was raised in that are very tropical, very rainforested. Uh, in fact, I'm in the wettest town in Australia, so we have uh, the best whitewater rafting in the world. We have massive amounts of waterfalls, lakes and, and rivers. And it's generally a part of Australia that isn't real. It's, it's only 1% of Australia, believe it or not, the rainforest here. And it probably gets about that much attention in Australian literature as well. And yeah, see, I didn't know any of this at all. Yeah, it, uh, even a, quite a lot of Australians aren't aware of just how different this part of Australia is. And of course, we're spoiled rotten because we have the Great Barrier Reef all along our coastline. So we have the underwater garden and then the tropical garden outside of the water. And we have that very wonderful combination of where rainforest meets beach meets glorious ocean and because the great barrier reef is protected it is very very special and and uh clean and 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 picturesque so um i found with tribute in particular i focused a little bit more on what we call the atherton tablelands here and that is the the rainforest and the rivers and the lakes and the waterfalls and my second book lucifer on leave that's a comedy set in Cairns, and that's more about the Great Barrier Reef and and um, the coastal area here. And I think I have my my uh, radio up or volume up enough where I can hear some of the insects that are around you today. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and you'll see birds flying past. I'm a little bit of a soft touch with animals, so uh, anyone that has a, a sick animal or an unwanted animal, they just drop it my place. They know I'll take care of it. And, and so I have bird nests on my verandas and geese all around me and animals all around me. So you, you might see the odd thing flying past us here. <laughs> That's just them coming back to their nest. But that was very handy. My whole life has been spent in these sort of areas. So um, without tooting my own horn or um, patting myself on the back too much, I, I can really write animals very, very well. So um, Australian wildlife, particularly the wildlife we have here, comes into play in the in the in both the books a, a great deal that is awesome that you're able to take where you're at educate even me on something yeah. i didn't know about and yeah. do it in a way that's still fictional and still protects the area that you're in that's right and 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 of course with all the native and nature stuff there's absolutely no fiction involved there i've used a little bit of um, magic reality if you like because uh, there isn't a wonderful aboriginal i also in in tribute have a wonderful aboriginal character because um unfortunately in australia and uh, so i tried to write 
two Aboriginal characters, one that people would traditionally recognise with the um, uh, prison systems and things like that, because there's a massive percentage of, of Aboriginal people in jails way outweigh, exactly like your country with African Americans, the numbers are, are far greater. And, and unfortunately, that's the sort of Aboriginal person a lot of city people meet. Um, but when you come to the uh, places where there's land and they're still um, very independent, there's a, another sort of Aboriginal character that's very beautiful, very in touch with the earth. And there is almost a magic realism about the way they worship the earth and worship the nature around them. So I've, I've painted him very, very beautifully. And um, even the Aboriginal community here really like the, the job I've done with him. And it can be a tricky thing writing another um, another race of people, you know, if, I, if I'm not, if I'm white writing an Aboriginal part, that can be a little tricky. So again, I've done that very respectfully and, and very honestly, so I don't um, hide the bad things or, or manipulate the bad things to make it all look rosy. Um, so it's kind of important that I, I, I had the nature and, and this particular Aboriginal character set in there. It seems to bring the nature to life a whole lot more and with the animal connections that he has, makes it that much more believable. Well, here's the thing. With any community, you have good and evil in anything. Exactly right. We exactly concentrate right. and we see in the news the evil. We don't always see the positive. Why? Because in the news, it's all about ratings, right? So exactly when, right. You, when you take the good and you actually do it true to a person's nature, and then you add in everything around it, then you get in touch with everything. That's right. And, and it really does bring life to it all. And because the settings are so postcard-like, it can almost be a little overwhelming, the beauty. And, and, and you can think, okay, I get the hint, it's pretty. And I, I don't like when people, when I read things and people have to reiterate all the time. And I find he just makes it happen without me telling you how it's happening. It's, it, it, it works really well. It's a great tool for writers, I think, using a character like that. And I should preface that by saying I do the same with the Australian white characters as well. I wanted to make sure you see the, 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 the genuine beauty of our mm, not so distant past, because we, we used to have a really wonderful language here. And, and now it's become a universal language with stolen from America, with stolen from Europe. And, and once upon a time, in the not so distant past, our language was a, a very, very different one to the rest of the world. And there was a certain pride in that and a certain beauty that came along. There was a rhythmic um, writer's dream about it. And before I knew I was a writer, for some silly reason, every Australian saying that I ever heard stuck in my head like glue. I, from a young age, got the sarcasm, I got the dryness, I got the whole... And I never... I had a really sticky mind for that. And um, if, if I'm a writer for anything, it's just by keeping these old sayings alive and, and our, lang our old language alive. Well, that's wonderful because we have... If you go to Ireland, it's the common language. Only 14% of Ireland speaks Irish. Only 10% yeah. of Scotland speaks Scots Gaelic. We're yeah. losing our languages unless really us are. as authors, as writers, as media uses them as a medium to teach through our works. 
I agree because TV is such a big influence and and probably 60% of our television here is American television. We know we we know all your sitcoms, we know all your uh, latest TV shows and movies. Uh, the Australian film industry and TV industry is very very small in comparison. So to fill the 20 channels we have now, we 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 have a very wide ranging selection of overseas material. And um, for um, and you've been our buddies for a long time, uh, American. So your language has seeped into ours in the last ten years a lot more than the the previous fifty. And um, so I'm finding that the Australians that enjoy my work are, are going, oh yeah, I forgot that saying, and, and really um, finding beauty in the their hometown languages. Um, so much so that I had to put a glossary in the back because my test readers from around the world were going, what does, what does this mean? What does this phrase mean? So the glossary is brilliant on its own. <laughs> I have an author within my publishing house that writes from a Native American's point of view. And she has a glossary in the back because unless you're familiar with that Native American tribe, you don't know yeah. the words. You don't know what it means. And, and we have a similar thing here. Our country as yours is very, very big, but ours is a lot more spread out. So the language I use in the very far north of Queensland where I am now is very different to Sydney. We, uh, I had to actually include the glossary for Sydney ciders as well because they're not from this northern area. And our, our north of Australia is, we call it our deep north, just as you call it the deep south in your country. Mm -hmm. So our north is the tropical area, the, the last of the frontiers, if you will. So this rainforest and all the beauty that's here is also two-sided. It it's, it's very, very dangerous. And um, it's, it still has a little bit of that danger. Australians like to tease the rest of the world about how vicious and, and um, life-threatening it is to be here. But we play that up a little bit. Um, but in reality, this sort of part of Australia is why I live here, because there's still a challenge to be had here. There's still new adventures to be found and, and new things discovered. And um, I think when I started writing about this area, I, I thought, have I seen other books that have been written here? And I've seen documentaries set on the Great Barrier Reef and all this sort of stuff, of course, but nothing really touching on the lifestyle. Um, yeah, that's missing a lot of books. It, it is. And so I find between the language being very authentic and the, the settings, people outside of Australia, are, are, I guess because the Great Barrier Reef is a big tag as well, but people are um, kind of getting interested in this part of Australia, which has been fairly heavily neglected uh, in, in its past. Well, it's not so much neglected, but protected. But now we're, yeah, yeah we're going into the last frontiers, really, if you think That's about right. it. But you still have mm -hmm. to be careful because you still want to protect what's there. That's right. And, and these are very, uh, there's a saying that we have here that behind America, we're one day ahead and 30 years behind. Um, so, so everybody really loves being 30 years behind the rest of the world. We do, a lot of people that live here don't want the mod cons. They, they, they love that view. They love mm -hmm. the mountains, trees down. And um, as they're 
dying off for lack of a better word a newer generation's coming in that's much more willing to share so we're finding that the tourist population here has always been massive that's what keeps this part of australia alive um but unless you're in australia you really don't a lot of people don't really look into anything but the reef on this area it's almost something so beautiful and pretty that it drags your attention away from the rest of the immediate area and that worked well for me because I get to show someone, everybody, something new. That is wonderful because like me, I love the seawater and, you know, stuff like this from a distance yeah, yeah. or behind the glass. I love it behind the glass where I don't have to deal with it. But yeah, that's right. It's a little bit safer. You don't have to worry about the crocodiles and the snakes and the spiders. <laughs> well, I'm not worried about the snakes. The spiders scare me. I'm, yeah. um don't like the fish very much, <laughs> but the crocodiles can be a little bit of a handful. Yeah, but I can outrun a crocodile on <laughs> land. <laughs> I have. I don't know if you can see, but just behind me, I'll just move. There's a water, a body of water behind me, mm -hmm. and we have two, we have two crocodiles in there. And whenever people say, you know, what are you going to do if if they chase us? I say exactly as you do. I'm going to run. But I tell them I'm going to trip you first. <laughs> I only have to outrun you. Um, yeah, exactly. We can funny. outrun a crocodile on land, but we can't in that, water. That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's nice to be not the top of the food chain mm -hmm. sometimes in our lives. We, I think humans, we think we are godlike. You know, we can, we can rule the world and we've got more power than anything. I, I really like living here because I get humbled by nature. And I realize I'm not the strongest here. I'm not the most dangerous. Um, we have cassowaries um, that, that are renowned to attack people, crocodiles. And, um, you know, whenever I get a little bit too big headed, I got a crocodile there to remind me my place in this world. And, and for me, that's, that's very humbling. And it, it's great for, um, for my writer's imagination too, because I, when I see him attack another crocodile or attack something, I can actually now translate his actions into humans and and i get to see these animals so much that i i start to notice their human traits as well and it works well with characters and and um having having that different glimpse at life i think i think that does help a lot when you can take something from nature and then transform it into a human characteristic because we're all uh animals we all belong to animal kingdom so That's there's right. certain traits that translate between, you know, what we see on four, four or two legs versus what we see in humanity. That's right. And we're so protected from nature now, aren't we? I, I, I like to wear no shoes sometimes because I like to feel the grass under my feet. And I wear no shoes more than often. I have none on now. But on the farm, it's quite different. I don't have to impress anybody. Um, but I went to Europe recently and I found no one was barefoot. And I, I talked to a, a, a person from Holland and I was like, and I was actually barefoot in the park. And, and they said, why don't you have shoes on? And I said, don't you like to feel the earth under your feet where you are and, you know, like the earth against you? And, mm -hmm. and he thought about it and he said, I haven't felt grass or the earth under my feet in the last 20 years. And, and that's kind of a big disconnection from our planet and our, you know, where we base ourselves. I, for me, always being around nature, it's it stuck in my head 20 years later that, that this person still hasn't felt. Yeah, that, that boggles my mind. In the wintertime when there's snow, I'll wear shoes. But other than that, I'm not wearing shoes unless I have to go into a building. 
yeah, yeah. If there's people around or you have to go somewhere, that's about the yeah. same thing for me. Um, so I, I like this book because I, it's, a, it's a nice connection to nature again. And, and Tribute also covers, it, it's an adults only book, not for anything triple um, X or porn related, but the, the concepts I've brought in there are very, very adult and, and need a, a mature, mature mind. Definitely. And I, I can tell when I'm dealing with people who are not able to do that in my reviews and the way people respond to me. Um, but, but on the other hand, the people that can persevere through the beginnings, uh, because there's child abuse in there and, and child slavery mm-hmm. and abuse by churches. And I basically tore the Band-Aid off this and I thought, before writing it, how, how am I going to attack this book? And the only way you can do it is with pure honesty and you can't be, you can't be biased in any way. Mm-hmm. And, and that really offends some people. The other problem I had with this book was when do I introduce this theme to the reader? And one thing I dislike in books is people buttering me up for six or seven chapters and then throwing something at me that's either very hideous or doesn't deserve to be there or they've suckered me into it somehow and and i thought from the very first sentence i'm going to be completely honest with you and i've just thrown you into the fire and for the first nine pages you don't know if the writer or the narrator is on the bad guy side or the good guy side it's just so cut and dry and it's just telling exactly what happens and that causes me a lot of trouble with with people who um I like to think that they want to attack that subject and and the subjects are so big that they're angry, yes, but they find it easy to attack me. Exactly. Uh, we need, need so to attack big. the abuse in the churches. We need to attack child slavery. We have to attack child abuse. They, these are big subjects. These are not little things that just one or two people can fix. So they get mad and they t- attack the people that are bringing them to attention. That's well, right. And, and I try not to engage these people, but, you know, one out of every hundred readers will will be, be quite upset and attack me personally. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't mind that. I knew when I wrote the book that that, that was going to happen. Um, and I like to think that it, it is what we're discussing. You know, they, they're angry at the subjects. They're angry that it happens, but they don't really know who to fire their ammunition at. So if they take it out on me, that's okay. But I, I think we're all little tiny axes and and these subjects are massive massive trees and and if we have enough of those little axes and enough people swinging them we can make a difference and and the whole world can make a difference it it still breaks my heart to this day the numbers that both our countries and this is worldwide mm-hmm. both our countries numbers are enough to make a person cry if you look it up and they are they're atrocious i mean really look at the numbers look at the data this between child abuse, the numbers in the churches that are coming out more and more in the yeah. last 10 years. And then you go to the trafficking of human trafficking, that doesn't matter what age it is or what nationality, the numbers are just horrible. And, and I think that's why this book 
is kind of, everyone thinks their book's important, I understand that. But even compared to my second book, my comedy, this book is kind of important because it is universal. And this isn't just a problem faced in Australia or America. Every country in the world has, has got issues with this problem. So that can translate and, and, and cover a lot of bases. The other thing that our countries have, and it's, it's a very good thing, I have to bring it up though, is that we protect the victims and so we never hear their point of view. Uh, in Australia we hear, yes, there's this person being caught for such and such, but we never hear anything more than that because, of course, we want to protect the child and we want to protect their future. But somewhere along the line, we need to hear a victim's perspectives mm -hmm. and, and, and we need to be able to connect to those victims and, and, and separate them from their attackers. Um, because somehow or other we lump them together and, mm -hmm. and we, we must because how do these numbers happen with us with our eyes wide open we, we must be overlooking things we must be we must be missing something my country is very terrible with prison sentences for these kinds of actions and so the deterrent is getting less and less for these people mm -hmm. and when we send them to prison that we're sending them to prison that are full of all sorts of prisons, but these people gravitate to their own. I, I was in prison for three years and the book goes through that for, for marijuana when I was a kid, for weed. But I got to see that murderers hang out with murderers and, and car thieves hang out with car thieves. And these type of people, they hang out with each other and we're in a room that's very, very small and you can overhear everything that they're saying, whether you want to or not. And and I always thought, you know, I can never tell people these things because it's just part of the suffering and part of the punishment. Um, but I, I'm actually very the opposite of that. I heard the conversations they have after they're caught and there's no guilt. There's no... Um, remorse. Other no, no remorse. And, and in fact, one of the scariest things in there is that when they hang out together, they're planning on how not to get caught again. Yeah. Just as car thieves get together and go, oh, I got caught because of this or that. They go, well, next time, you know, when you steal a car, don't do it this way, don't do it that way. These type of prisoners and criminals, they're talking about the exact same things in their line of work. So uh, I don't know the answer. I really don't. I'm not a politician. I'm not a powerful person. But I think we all just have to, particularly with our loved ones, because the other scary percentage is that most of these victims are being victimized by someone they know. Mm -hmm. it, it's a family member or a friend. It's not a perfect stranger like we all imagine it, sh it could be or, or might be. If you go on any TV show, it's always someone that's just hunting a person based on looks. Well, in reality, 90% of the people are family members or friends or colleagues. That's right. And, and so I think that mothers and fathers should have no guilt in really breaking down the people that their children hang around with a hundred percent you know have all those thoughts can i trust this person can i can i leave things alone with this person some of these questions and uh questions to ask yourself can be quite tough questions to ask to mm -hmm. to put a magnifying glass on a loved one or well, we must have to because we haven't or we're not and these numbers are still happening in this, this modern era. We're still seeing those percentages. And um, I, I, I think I got the best compliment um, a little while ago. A mother sent me a letter and said, my daughter's just turned 18 today and I thrust tribute into their hands because they're kind of modern age, a little naive teenagers and, 
and and she sort of thanked me and said, because you had the conversation with them that I want to have, but I can't have. And, and I, to me, that was a compliment, because to hand this book to a, a 18 year old who is a little naive and childish, still is a, it, it can go either way with mm-hmm. this book. And um, she said, it, it, you know, it opened her eyes as a mother and, and she's sure that her children's eyes have just been opened that little bit more now. And, uh, and, and of course, this, this problem just doesn't happen to children, does it? it no, it's, it's women adults. It doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter your gender. doesn't matter yeah. your orientation. If you like whatever, it yeah. can happen to anyone. That's right. And we're all, we're all susceptible to seeing it, I think, too, because with all those numbers, we all must have known someone or seen someone or walked past someone. We've mm-hmm. all sort of, you know, we've, we have to have been in close contact if, if those numbers are correct. Um, the other thing that tribute is very important in my mind about is that there's six victims all went through the same um, bad guy. And so you get six different responses. They shatter and explode in six completely different ways. Mm-hmm. And no one is to say one of those ways isn't right. And of course... That's correct. And, and, as and each as a those, survivor of some of this stuff that we're talking about. I can tell you there's no right or wrong way to deal with it. That's right. And and so I, I often thought about just making it about one of us. And then I thought, no, I'm going to put all of us in there so people can see that this this reaction and the the, the pain left by these people mm-hmm. and the, the confusion left by these people is life lasting. And, and then we see a court put them away for three to six years on average here. Or not and, at all. Uh, yeah, that, that is just so demoralizing. And, and then, you know, some kid gets busted with weed and, and they get six months jail. It really makes no sense to me whatsoever. But with those six different reactions, you are going to get a variety of, of reactions as well. So one will no doubt in those numbers turn to self-harm. One will turn to suicide. Most will turn to drugs or alcohol or some other form of love. Um, so to see how these people, because the book ends when they're 26, but to see the people get to that age, it, it, it's, it's punching all the time. And that was very, very important for me. I didn't want lulls in it too much because when you're under that sort of pressure, as you know from your experiences, there's no lull. There's, it doesn't stop. It, it no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't until you choose to quit being the victim and start being the survivor. When you get that's to that exactly mindset, right. that's when you get the law. Right. And for people that have never been in that situation, I try to put them in the shoes where they get to understand those decisions and they feel, for lack of a better word, forgive those decisions. You know, because these, these kids, they're not perfect and they're not great kids, but they definitely didn't deserve what they got. Right. And, and, and the other thing that this book is about, it, to me, it's the, one of the greatest love stories I've ever read or written. And it's a very different love story because it's not about uh, a grown man and a grown woman. It's about six friends that aren't related whatsoever, but yet they've never been shown how to love decently, but somehow mm-hmm. these six learn how to love one another and though they're not family, they probably love each other more than most families actually do. There's a lot of dysfunctional families out there. Yes. And, and, 
<laughs> and with all that's going on around them, they, they shouldn't rightly know how to do that. They shouldn't rightly know how to care for one another and, mm -hmm. and uh, prepare each other for the future and, and have, have deep understanding. Um, by rights, they should be uh, hateful and spiteful and continuing this cycle. Uh, and, and so it's a story of, of love and, and the bravery of stopping this and, and, and stopping it because no one else will, because the, the rest of the town, these sleepy little places, can overlook these problems just as the whole world has overlooked the problems we're speaking about. Exactly. And, and little towns that are poor, um, small populations, they don't tend to look outside their backyards much. You know, they, they, they keep everything insulated within their own little houses and lives. They don't look in the neighbour's yard. They don't look to um, be sticky beaks. Um, so I think sticky beaking to a certain degree probably save lives probably helps it probably does a little bit and it's thankful that there are people that get nosy into other people's business because you know it's bringing light to some of this but at the same time we have to figure out as humans how to fix it that's right and, and so this book shows what happens if there's no sticky beaks if there's no one looking in if there's no one paying attention this is possibly what could happen to anyone without love without those people making sure we're okay, especially in those tender years, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, and orphans to, to boot, um, you know, they, they need a lot more people checking up on them, making sure their mental welfare is great. I, I contribute a little bit from each of my book to a, 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 a university study in Australia here, and it's a wonderful hands-free um, organization and I love those ones because it seems anytime you donate money to an orphanage or some sort of fund six months later they're in the paper for doing the same things that you want them to be protected from so um, finding these little niche places this one was called real wealth and they're scientists and it's mm -hmm. it's done in classrooms so there's no one-on-one -on -one stuff it's all done in front of people is very very mindful of the child and I think as the next decade comes along we're going to see a lot more of those little niche places that are solely dedicated to the health of these children because if if they're if the problems they're facing from it aren't dealt within the first five or six years the chances of them being in the criminal system um is so high and 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 not just for petty crime either you know these are some damaged damaged people that we're having out in society with no foundations and, and no backup plans. And uh, these little organisations like Real World are really trying to jump on these problems early, diagnose anything that's been left over early and, and, and work through that as fast as possible, which I think is much better than silence. I, it I is. Really believe. It really I is. And, and love and patience is basically the whole heart of my book. Um, Yes, there's a lot of hate in there from the crimes that are being done, but um, ultimately, to me, it's a it's a love story. It really is. See, we think of love stories as two people coming together, but really, when you can have a group of friends that come together under the similar circumstances to learn to love, that is the first step of any love story. Yeah, I think so, and and uh, I, I like the challenges that presents because it's quite kind of easy for writers to write a couple in love, right? And, mm -hmm. and they 
have their little adventure and that to to have boundaries and 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 friendships sometimes all those boundaries get tested just as in any relationship so one's bound to fall in love with the other at one point and it's all complicated and what's going on here and um and and you know they like sisters and brothers they can hate each other's guts as with passions at times but still have that core you know central um forgiveness there and uh, i really i really had fun with the six personalities and because i knew all these people i didn't have to branch far from the truth and and one or two are still alive and i got their permission to write their characters and i i knew i done well when one of them rang me and he's not a reader and he said you've immortalized me forever <laughs> that right there is the best compliment any author can get from anyone yeah that's right that's right and because he was there and he was part of it and he's in it and he's he's a, it meant a lot to me and and he's not the sort of person and this is another dangerous thing for re writers, isn't it? Who you hand your work to, because mm -hmm. most people will tell you it's great, no matter if it's garbage. The worst writing I've ever read. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, before I sent it to my friends, I I thought if I'm going to do this, because I'm very badly educated, I left school at 14. I, I we have English in our schools and maths, but then the dumb one is general English and general maths, and I used to fail those every year. And just not very smart at school. Um, so when I wrote it, I, I picked the harshest editor in Australia and book critic, and, and I sent it to him first. And I was expecting to get a letter back saying, go back to school, learn to, mm -hmm. you know, put punctuation and things like that. And um, he, 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 was, he was so complimentary and he's very, very hard to get. He's never given a five star review in his life, but he gave me four. And he said, if it wasn't for the language and the blood, I'd probably give you higher. And so I sent it to my friends with a little bit more confidence then. And, and when they ring back and are in tears and things like that, that to me was, okay, I've got, you were there, you were there and you're, I'm taking you right back to that point. I, I think I'm on track here. And um, it seems that because they felt it, um, the people that read it seem to feel it as well. So, so it's- awesome. It's kind that of is an awesome, it. awesome feeling. But we are almost out of time. So where can our no listeners and our viewers find you? Well, I'm, I'm all over Amazon. Um, uh, Robert Lee Johnson, of course, is my name. And Lucifer on Leave and Tribute are both there. Uh, Lucifer on Leave is also an audio book. I got a, a fellow, a bloke, we call him a man, mm -hmm. from the area that the book is set. So it's got the authentic... Uh, accent and all the words said as they should be and and that just took me to international bestseller recently so it seems to be awesome again I think the authenticity is mm -hmm. um carrying he? through and tribute is in the hands of Scott Rudin at the moment he's in a he's a um a producer who made No Country for Old Man and Zoolander I'm familiar in, with his work he's in a little bit of trouble at the moment he's kind of person non grata but um, he uh, is keen to make tribute into a movie. So we, we, the screenplay's all been read. I wrote the screenplay for him and we're sort of going full steam ahead with that. And um, we, just, we just seem to be getting out there step by step every year, a little bit more and a little bit deeper. So um, all the usual sort of channels to get a book is, is where I'm at. Awesome. Well, it was such a wonderful time talking to you. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Melissa. That was awesome fun. And, and uh, I had a great time.
And for all of our listeners and our viewers, happy reading.